NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, y'all, we're back with our third episode in this special series all about pornography. And I just want to say this. I know that this is heavy. I know it's heavy. In fact, the conversation I'm sharing with you today, I cried in the middle of this conversation, and I still feel a little shaken up over it. This is heavy, but I want you to know that it is valuable, and it is important, and it is worth our uncomfortableness. Um, Pornography has been an evil, evil, evil thing in our world. And a lot of you listening have overcome porn struggles in your own life, or you're married to spouses who have overcome porn struggles. And the conversation we're going to have today is mainly about how do we help our kids. And as a mom to four, these are important conversations to me. Some of the conversations with my kids, I've gotten really, really right. And some of them I've gotten really, really wrong. And I want to tell you, I want to keep having them because they matter because they matter, even if they're uncomfortable. I will say, as you might have already understood, the conversation might not be suited for young kids. And today, also want to tell you a little trigger warning. There's a conversation here about someone who um, took their own life. And so I, I want to give that warning as well. Today on the show, I have Chris McKenna. And Chris McKenna is a former middle school youth director, which maybe makes him perfect for the job that he's doing now. He has an organization called Protect Young Eyes. And we're going to link Protect Young Eyes in the show notes. I'd love for you to go check out their webpage. I would love for you to go follow them on Instagram. Uh, and really, they have great resources for you. And what they want to do is they want to serve families. They want to serve youth pastors. They want to serve schools. They really want to serve you as you help protect your kids from the internet, basically. Their tagline is that they help families, schools, and churches create safer digital environments. And I want you to know, I say this in the interview today, the internet's not bad. It's not terrible. It's not going away. But we do need to be smart about it. And so I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Follow Protect Young Eyes on Instagram. Go visit their blog. Also, go to our show notes because we're going to have a lot of resources there for you that include past guests that we've had on the show. If you want to listen to more conversations, if you want resources as far as books and technology that you can actually use to help you monitor your kids' technology, we'll have all of that for you as well. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this series. I know that it is hard. Oh, I know that it is hard, but I do know that it's worth it. And if you are someone who is struggling with pornography, I want you to know that you're not alone, that there is a way out of it, uh, and that God loves you and sees you as way more than your struggle. In fact, He sees you as a child of His that He loves. And so I want you to hear that from me today. All right, friends, here's my conversation with Chris McKenna from Protect Young Eyes. Hey, Chris, welcome to the happy hour. Jamie, I am so happy and excited to be here. Good to see you. Well, it's a good happy hour for sure. Even if we're talking about hard things, it's it's a good time to be here. I'd love for you to introduce yourself to my listeners. Great. Yeah. Chris McKenna, founder of Protect Young Eyes, but maybe more importantly, lover of Jesus Christ, dad, husband, all the other things that are what shape what I do and how I do it and why I do it. Um, Andrea and I have been married for 20, almost 24 years. I have four children. I just sent my oldest off to college 
And then I have three middle school boys. So I'm in two very different phases of life, trying to help a young adult launch and then trying to help three middle school sons figure that crazy phase out. But as a former middle school pastor, I understand it. It doesn't mean I always understand why they think, how they think, but at least I can say, yeah, I've watched this this path before. But all of that shapes sort of where I am today, which is what I call a very unexpected journey into digital safety, protect young eyes. That's why we're talking here. Jamie, this is a horrible way to start a conversation about technology and hard digital topics, but I'm not a tech guy. <laughs> like this, it, It's one of these destinations, or I guess places where I am that I never expected to be. I have a, a degree in accounting. I lived and also speak Spanish, lived in Mexico for a while. I was an international business guy for over a decade until the Lord called me into the local church. So I left a 12-year career with Ernst & Young to go become a middle school pastor for seven years because those two things are so similar, right? They're identical. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, as you were talking about your family, I was like, gosh, we have so much in common, so much in common. And then you said three middle school boys. And I was like, oh my gosh, you are running your own youth ministry at your house. This is your very own student ministry. Well, it's a bit of an inside joke or a joke that I share with my friends. Because when I was in middle school ministry, Jamie, from 2009 to 2016, which will play into why Protect Young Eyes exists, because during that time frame, I started watching amazing junior high kids put the internet in their pocket, mm-hmm. right, for the first time in human history, right? So that's that. We'll put that, we'll come back to that. But I joke now that it was during that time, my daughter was like five or six. I didn't have any middle schoolers of my own, yet I'm giving out what I think is fabulous advice to parents about middle schoolers. So now I'm actually, it's its almost like penance. It's now God looking at me going, go ahead, McKenna, see how that stuff works. See if all that advice you gave really works with your sons because practice is a little different than the books, but it's awesome. Love them. Great phase. So. Listen, uh, my husband, Aaron, was a student pastor when we first got married. And I always just think, why are we hiring 21-year-old people to lead our students when they are <laughs> students themselves? But anyhow, it is what it is. We too could laugh at the things that we probably said and encourage parents in That's with right. our wisdom as you know, young 25-year-olds. Now we've got these kids under our house. Chris, we're doing in the middle of, well, the end of the series now about pornography. And we've t- talked to Sam and we've talked to Jessica. And now I have you on. And before we jump into what you do and why you're passionate about this. I'd love to hear a little bit of your story. I know that you have a story that involves pornography and it kind of probably spurs on the work that you do. So I'd love to hear a little bit of your story. Yeah, that's right. And that intersects with what I shared previously about my time in middle school ministry. So by the way, Sam and Jessica, good friends. I'm so glad you've had a chance and your listeners um, if you haven't listened to them, please. I mean, they have fabulous stories and they're awesome human beings who love Jesus. So I was exposed to pornography, not unlike a lot of Gen X kind of dads my age as a young child, a stack of things I shouldn't have seen. And I didn't have a lot of ways to carry out that curiosity, but mentally, like in my brain, it gave birth to a whole lot of thoughts and ideas and curiosities. I just didn't know what to do with. Why? Because I was raised like a lot of Gen Xers by boomer parents. We didn't talk about this stuff. You didn't really have comfortable, open dialogues about these kinds of things. You didn't even know who to go to. So it was often just sort of on your own, struggling with it. So set that aside. And now I go to college and now the internet is everywhere. This new thing, right? Al Gore's internet. (laughs) It shows up in our libraries at, at Western. It shows up everywhere. And now we have this access. And 
there was a doctor who said that you know online pornography in the early days and to this day is fueled by a triple A battery, right? It's affordable, it's anonymous, um, mm. and it, it's it's these things that you just in the dark, in the secret, almost anything mm. feels logical and good, right? That's the enemy's great lies. I'm hurting anybody. Um, nobody's being impacted by this. No one will know. And the internet fueled that anonymity around this behavior. And I knew it was horrible for me, but it was available. And that's the other A, right? Affordable, anonymous, and available. It was there all the time at my fingertips. I didn't have to go anywhere. And so that led to an adult compulsive use of pornography that I carried into marriage, that I carried into over a decade of our marriage um, before I was convicted that change had to happen. And that was right before the time where I'm starting to get into middle school ministry. So imagine, you know, I, I could show you the spot on the concrete in Grand Rapids where I was running, mm. where I was just convicted by the spirit that I had to go home and tell Andrea that this is what I had been struggling with. And for her, the reaction was, now I know. Like she finally mm -hmm. had a name. That lie that I'm not hurting anybody was not true. It wasn't spoken. It wasn't known. But in her spirit, in her heart, there was something mm -hmm. wrong, something broken between us for over a decade. And now it had a name. And now we could deal with it. Now it's in the light, right? Now it can be dealt with. And so then fast forward a little bit into middle school ministry. So I am watching amazing 11, 12, and 13-year-olds carry the very thing in their pocket that almost destroyed me. Mm. And Jamie, that terrified me. Mm -hmm. It terrified me because parents simply did not appreciate the level of risk and temptation. Not that they're bad kids. The internet is not about a good kid, bad thing, bad kid thing. It's about a, a technology that weaponizes wonderful pieces and parts of the neurology of kids in a way that the enemy uses for harm. And so that's where Protect Young Eyes came from. I started doing some presentations for parents at the church. I mean, back in 2013 and 2014, no one was speaking very openly about these things other than maybe Sam and Jessica, right? There were some of the front runners in some of these conversations. And I started a closed Facebook group. And then in 2015, there was a story here in Grand Rapids about a young, uh, young lady who was almost kidnapped through the Kick app, which at the time was just full of predators and problems. And so a local news station discovered my work. They profiled me, kind of what I was doing, and shared that with parents. And then I had to launch a website because a lot of people started coming my way. That was right after the Super Bowl in 2015. So the website, protectyoungeyes.com, we launched in May of 2015 and have grown from there, almost disappeared because of COVID, just because we specialize in live presentations. We now, mm -hmm. I have a team of five presenters who travel the country. Uh, we have hundreds of presentations we will do all over the country. Of course, that wasn't the case while we were all locked down, but that is kind of roaring back and we have more work than I know what to do with, which is fabulous. Mm. But we want to be out there equipping like all the awesome moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas who are going to be listening to this. We want to make sure that you know that you have tools, you have digital superpowers, you just need the encouragement and the confidence to uncover them and unlock them. And we want to stand in that gap between those awesome families and technologies that frankly, Jamie, do not care a bit about the safety, the protection, and the morality of our children. Mm, well, I'm so grateful for your work. Just so you know, already, I feel like I just want to be a cheerleader for all you're doing at Protect Young Eyes over there. You know, I want to ask you this, when you're dealing with parents or 
you're going to make presentations at churches or schools or whatever it might be. What do you find yeah. is the number one hindrance that keeps parents from wanting to have these conversations with their kids? Would you say it's they're no, they don't feel equipped? Would you say they feel embarrassed? Would you say they think this can't be my family? Where do you think most people would fall in line there? Yeah, for a lot of years, it was the not my kid virus, the not Mm -hmm. my kid syndrome, NMK, right? And every good Jesus-loving parent wants to believe that their little angel could never look, say, have a conversation with that kind of person, that kind of image, that kind of video. And so for a long time, it was that because we had an information void where parents just simply weren't aware. I feel like we're getting to the point, though, Jamie, there's enough news and Mm -hmm. enough information that if parents are still in the NMK mode, then you're almost intentionally not listening. You're Mm. almost intentionally not reading. And I would ask that parent, why? What is it that is preventing you from learning more about these things? Now, granted, I'm going to say some of the news is intentionally inflammatory, right? If we only doom scrolled and parented based on what we see in our feeds, we'd be all horribly depressed, sad, and anxious parents all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But even if 10% of it is 10% accurate, Mm. shouldn't that inform a little more intentionally the way that we parent in the digital age? Even if 10% of the news about TikTok is 10% true, wouldn't it still be horrible for 12 and 13 year olds, Mm. right? It's these kinds of just kind of logical questions that I in no way critique or shame or blame, but invite parents to ask themselves. They, Mm. you listening, you know, your kiddos best. I want to present to you information and statistics and research and experience because Jamie, everything to me is about balancing risk. That's the career I came from for 12 years. I was a risk manager for Ernst & Young. I would go into large billion-dollar publicly traded companies, help them identify business risk, and help them put procedures in place that would get rid of that risk to the point where it wouldn't do harm to the company. That's the same lens through which I parent, through which I I look at digital risk. I can't eliminate all risk from the lives of my children, nor would I want us to do that because all that does is create a bunch of unresilient kids who cannot handle the troubles of this world, right? There will be trouble in this world. Mm -hmm. Jesus made that pretty clear. (laughs) And so we need to have children who experience and and grow and mature and struggle some, but we need to remove as much risk of egregious harm, Mm -hmm. traumatizing harm to our children as possible. And I believe that we're in a time where the risk of egregious traumatizing harm, the distance between our children and egregious traumatizing harm is thinner than it has ever been for children, right? The distance between a child who has a smartphone in their pocket and a life altering decision has never been more narrow. Mm. I used to have to go to find it. You used to have a, I don't know much about your childhood, but I'm guessing you would have had to have had an elaborate plan with certain friends and certain secrets and sneaking out and all of these different like flow charts would have had to have been in place (laughs) if you were going to radically change the trajectory of your childhood. And that just is no longer the case. And I think we just need to be honest. Yeah. I, I always think of porn as a, we used to have to go find it. We'd had to go buy a magazine. You had yep. to get the channel. You had to do the things. And now it's like porn's coming for us all. That's right. 
You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Jessica, in her interview that uh, you guys can listen to as well, really made a really great point. We're talking about porn in our kids is that like a lot of times we think like, oh my God, and that whole not my kid thing. Well, the reason we think that is because we have good kids and you're like, no, my kid's a good kid. My kid is not, I, I don't have to worry about this. My kid, I've got good kids, all the things. And it's not your kid. It's the pornography. It's not your kid. It's the porn coming for your kid. And that was really helpful when she talked about that. One of the things that I I saw on your Instagram recently is you said this, you said, make porn, uh, the most normal word in your home. And, uh, you got a oh lot boy. of, com- you got a oh lot boy. of comments on that one. <laughs> yeah, and it, I would it love, to- up. it started up a little bit and I would love to talk about that yeah. because I think a lot of parents questions and frustrations, and you may have found this in your own work is like, I don't know when, I don't know how, like if I tell my kids about something, then I'm telling them about something they didn't know. And, um, I think that we think that a lot, especially when having conversations with kids about sex. And I'm always like, well, I don't know where you live, but your kids have probably heard something about sex before you have told them. And so let's talk about that. Make porn the most normal word in your home. Why? How? What do you mean, Chris? Right, right. Out of context. That's a really (laughs) controversial, provocative thing to say. And even said more succinctly in our talks, we say make porn the norm. And that really stirs people up. But you know, imagine I've been talking to them for an hour. They know the spirit of what I'm saying. But here's what I mean by that is I want every parent, grandparent, guardian listening to this, I want you to be the authority on those things that could do your children harm. 
Whether you want to admit it or not, the chances of them discovering information about the things that you don't want them to know about is greater than ever because of the digital doorways that you don't control. So when I posted that, and I've posted that twice, that was actually a repost from two years ago. And I can't believe how much stronger the reaction was this time, right? Which proves to me a couple of things. That even as adults, we have become a lot more polarized, reactive, cancel culture, whatever you want to say about things we disagree with. But I would say even for parents who um, agree with me in terms of worldview, right? Maybe a little more right-leaning, maybe a little more uh, you know, evangelical in our Christian view. The comments that I got from parents on that was that that's, I'll be honest, the, the feedback was, Chris, that's pedophile thinking. And I'm like, no, no, no. Are you telling me that you would rather have your children learn about egregious topics from somebody other than you. Depending on how you approach it in an age-appropriate way, I want you to talk to your children two years before when you think they need it about all of the horrible things, including pornography, that they could experience because of access to digital places. Right, And so talking about it doesn't open up this Pandora's box. Talking about it removes the enemy's curiosity power that he loves to weaponize in childhood over our children. In an age-appropriate way, have these conversations. It doesn't mean you have to sit down and have graphic conversations, even using the word pornography with a five or a six-year-old. But you better believe it. I want every five and six-year-old to know what they do when they see something online, like private parts, like places that are usually covered up, like naked people. I mean, they all know what their private parts are. I hope you've been talking to them by name for years by that point in time. And let them know that if they ever see anything like that from somebody else on a screen, exactly what to do. And you practice it. You put it down and you tell someone and give them a list of someones that they could tell. There's ways to make it so that your five or six-year-old knows exactly what to do when they get that little funny feeling in their belly. That's Holy Spirit radar saying, wait, there's something wrong here. Encourage them to listen to that and to do something about that so they know what to do when they see it. Right? I just gave all of your listeners a little bit of a mini script, a little bit of a mini roadmap as to how to have this conversation about pornography. So there you go. Well, also, I, I know that you listed this in your Instagram um, post as well, and we'll link to that. But a book that many people on my show have recommended, and you recommend as well, is Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Uh, and that is for ages three to six, and it's a simple plan to protect young minds. It's a book that you can read with your young kids about protecting young minds. So what other resources do you recommend for parents at a young age? Because I think that's what stresses people out is, how do I talk to my kids about these things at a young age? And Chris, I found when talking with my kids when they were younger about sex, and we use these amazing books. Oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of them now. Um, I'll put them in the in the show notes, but it was, um, oh, God's, God's Design, Design for Sex. Yep. Those are great. Okay. We used those books when we were raising our, when they, our kids were younger. And I always felt that as much as it felt awkward for me, my kids weren't awkward when they were super younger. Obviously, it's not graphic. It's not about like sexual intercourse, um, but it's giving them a framework for God's design for sex. And I found that my kids 
weren't awkward about it. They were listening to their mom talk to them. And it didn't, it was weirder for me than it was for them, is what I always felt. That's almost always the case. We impute our discomfort. Now, I, my now my middle school and high school well, okay. boys, right now, they're like, Mom, would you please stop? Oh my gosh. And those conversations are way different. <laughs> way I'll tell different. you that. Uh, but yes. <laughs> no, but that's uh, even to, to talk about older kids for just a minute. I don't want this just to be a younger kid thing. Whatever the topic is when it comes to digital risk and digital spaces, if your kids aren't finishing your sentences or rolling their eyes, then you're not saying it enough. Whatever it is, I kind of want them to look at you and go, oh, yeah, I know, mom, I've heard that before. Yes, amen, I know you have. But the algorithm is more persistent, and I want to be, mm-hmm. I want to be more consistent and persistent with the things that are good and true and praiseworthy and honorable in your life, because all it takes my amazing 15 year old son, all it takes is for you to make one decision to undo all of this. And I do not want that to happen. So yes, I'm going to annoy you. I'm getting emotional talking about it. Yes. I'm going to say it again. And yes, I hope you roll your eyes because you know that I love you so much, right? Mm -hmm. These are the things as I interact with parents at high school, um, and the issues get a lot more complex and a lot more, uh, the risk becomes so much greater. But you know, when you look at the statistics, the issue like sextortion, which is somewhat of like a pornography related sort of tangential issue, because it's all about dopamine rewards. And those tween and teen brains have such overactive limbic systems. That's that emotional part of their brain, dopamine rewards. And so we have to be careful that they have enough tools and enough protections, especially during that age. But this issue of sextortion often starts with something like pornography where they're sent uh, an an image from somebody who they think is some hot girl or something. It's mostly a boy issue. And they're encouraged to send a photo back Right, and now we're into self-generated pornography. We always think of it sort of in the two-dimensional Playboy centerfold sort of way, but that's why our talk on porn that we give to parents is pornography and self-generated content because it's all sort of the same part of the brain and it's all sort of the same conversations that we need to have with our kids. It's maybe more about pornography in an equipping way at a younger age, but then it becomes more about self-generated content in an equipping way when they're into the phase of taking photos and communicating with friends in those junior and mm-hmm. senior year. So I'm, I'm just trying to draw the things together for parents to go, there's a lot of correlations here. Let's not be too narrow in our understanding of this issue because we could miss some other signs, some other conversations that we need to have with with our kiddos. Originally, you asked me about resources and I just went off on a tangent. So I'm going to come back to your original question there. I find it to be helpful because I need to see some examples of things is give me some stories, Chris, or give me some scripts and ways that I can actually just sort of do this. Not that I'm going to read it, but I just kind of need to see how another parent did it. And so, yes, there are some great books out there, but we wrote a blog post called How to Talk to a Five-Year-Old About Pornography. And it includes stories and examples of parents' illustrations that they used about, hey, if you wandered into the woods, the story that a dad gave with his kids about, you know, if something dangerous is going to happen or you're going to go off the path, wouldn't you want me to make sure you knew how? And he he connected this very tangible thing that his child liked to do, and that is adventure, to something that is you know, um, harder to talk about. And that made it, like you said, with the book example you gave, that made something a lot easier to talk about. So that would be a way, just read other stories of how parents have had these conversations, connect with other parents who have been through this phase 
in communities. Uh, we've built a, you know, a private community of parents who can get together and talk about how to have these conversations in addition to the book. So I just think it's, it's finding it. It's there. It, it's available. Mm. And we, we just have to, um, you know, I, I would love if they would come to protect young eyes and find some of this, but there are other great organizations. Like you said, Jessica has great content. Covenant eyes that you heard through Sam black has great content for parents. Um, but it's out there. You just got to go find it. One of the things I remember, I was having a conversation with a friend recently, and she reminded me of a conversation that her and I had years ago about how to talk with our kids about pornography. And she was just saying, this is nothing to do with me patting myself on the back, but she was saying how I had encouraged her in our conversations. And it makes me, it reminded me of the fact that for us parents, we got to know like we're all in this together and you can have conversations with your friends without throwing your kids under the bus, without telling your kids stories. But I think we need each other. We need to know that we're in this together. Now you were talking about sex store, sex store, sex extortion. Say it again. Extortion. But sex extortion. I've never heard okay. of this. And you were talking about it. And I still need you to yeah. explain what you're yeah, talking absolutely. about. Absolutely. So this is the number one issue being dealt with by internet crimes against children. Those are the state police forces uh-huh. that exist in every state. And also the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, NICMIC, based there in Washington, D.C. They are the global clearinghouse for all digital sexually exploitive content in digital spaces. It all gets reported there. A hundred million images and videos a year. The math is mind boggling and crushing. The number one issue being dealt with by tween and teen boys, 90 plus percent of the cases are boys, is sextortion. This is the exchange that takes place. It happens on Instagram more than any other app and Snapchat is second. You receive a DM from someone who you don't know, who has a fake profile, parading around as some hot girl, let's say, if they're going after a teen boy, that's usually what it's going to be. And they'll say, hey, I, I'm going to show you a little bit of me. And I'll show you more if you send me a nude photo, right? Send me, a, I'll just say it out loud because I hope that parents of teen boys say this word out loud with their teen boys, dick pics, right? We need to say that word out loud to say, don't ever send a picture of your penis to another person. Like I want us to be that blunt and obvious with our teen boys to put mm-hmm. it out in the light, but that's what it is. So they send a photo and then they discover that this person they're communicating with is an extorter, probably in some foreign country who has now this photo and through all kinds of other means has discovered who their parents are through Facebook, who their mm-hmm. friends are, and is mm-hmm. threatening to share that nude photo with all of these people and expose them. And sometimes mm-hmm. the, you know, the the boys who are victims of this, and I, not to excuse them from their actions, but they are victims in that this is a mm-hmm. weaponization of their just insane curiosity and impulsivity as teen boys. I, I'm. I'm telling you, yep. I can see how myself or even some of my friends growing up would have totally fallen victim to this because oh, teen brains are yeah. no different. And we have a story, a horrible story here in Michigan, Jordan DeMay, um, two years ago, this happened to him, senior in high school, had just figured out where he was going to college, football, homecoming king, a fabulous young man. And one night this happened to him and he was so ashamed of the prospect in this small town of Marquette, Michigan, of his family and friends finding out that he killed himself that night. And I oh just, they just discovered who the perpetrators were, three men from Nigeria that they're now extraditing to the United States to bring to justice. But this is the issue. 
We have double-digit young men in the past year who have committed suicide because of this issue in the United States. So this is the interrelation between this pornography and self-generated content. They all are sort of hitting that part of the brain that is this insane curiosity. Why? Because God has created us to be curious and, and want to know more about these things, right? When used in a beautiful way in the context of marriage, it's an awesome thing, but this is how it can be weaponized against them. What were the the perpetrators, what are they wanting in exchange? Are they wanting money? Yes. So they it, the the different okay. requests are go get your parents' credit card and, and tell me the number. Or yeah. I'm going to send somebody via Uber for you to go get a whole bunch of of gift cards from CVS and they're gonna like a mule send them to me after you've paid for them with your parents' credit card or a whole host and they never stop asking for money. So I do a lot of I, I just a couple of weeks ago I had a mom who contacted me at midnight. I got this DM on Instagram. I don't get DMs in the middle of the night very often. This is a, a desperate mom whose 13 year old son had just exchanged a photo with a stranger on Snapchat and now was being extorted for money. So we walked through what to do about that issue. And you never send them the money because they will never stop asking. You just instead do all kinds of things to make your account private. We have a whole list of steps that parents need to follow when that happens. But that is the exchange. It's not because they want... It used to be perpetrators coming after teen girls to get more of their nude photos. Mm -hmm. Now it's perpetrators mm -hmm. coming after teen boys for financial purposes. Wow. Wow. I, I'm with you, Chris, on this. Those are uncomfortable conversations, but um, I think that also as parents, we need to know, I'm speaking of myself as a mom to teenagers and your dad to teenagers. We also need to remember that we can't have this conversation one time and call it a day. Like this needs to be a conversation. Like I promise you, like, I feel like I'm going to cry because that story is so hard to hear, but because I have boys right. around the dinner table tonight, I'm going to tell them the story. Okay. And I'm going to tell them about this kid. I'm going to use his name. Yep. I'm going to tell them about him and what happened. Um, and just, it will be a reminder because we've had these conversations before. And also just to encourage parents. I mean, every person that's been on and all the time has said, if you have these conversations and your kids confesses or says something, you say it all the time. We say it here all the time. Don't freak out. Let your kid know that you love them. Let them know that it's okay. Like, I think that's too what parents have to be it's hard for parents too is Chris, when they, when they have these conversations and then maybe they're caught or they found yeah. out, what do you, what do you tell parents in those situations to react? How do, how do we react as parents in those moments? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things that you hit on Jamie that are just so rich and important as an encouragement, because all we've talked about so far, if you're listening to this, you might feel like this is too much. It's too heavy. All right. So I want to, I want to relieve a little bit of that with just a couple. If I'm over right, here crying, uh, with Chris. Just a couple <laughs> of tidbits because these stories are heavy. Um, it, number one, it is to what you said before, have the conversations and it isn't just one. We talk about digital drips. In fact, I have a whole, every five day for two, I, I have uh, a whole email series that parents can subscribe to about these digital drips where every five days you'll get this little tidbit of encouragement to have a conversation with That's your good. kiddos, right? Because, it, and we often think then the enemy wants us to get paralyzed with, oh my gosh, I need to have a PowerPoint. I need to have research. I need to sit my kid down. There needs to be a bright light. They need to clap. And it's like, no, no, none of that needs to be true. One of the phrases we use, Jamie, is 10 before 10. I want 10 little drips about pornography before your child turns 10. 
And these are just mm-hmm. little nudges, little conversations. It's driving to school and you're in the pickup line or drop off line and you turn the radio down. You just turn to your child who is a captive audience strapped in. They're not going anywhere. It's a beautiful time for a conversation. And you just say to them, you know what, honey, if you ever see anything that's uncomfortable online and you tell me about it, you will never be in trouble. And then you turn on the radio and you tell them to have a great day. Parents listening to this, that's a porn talk. That is a porn. That's so good that to is hear a porn because you conversation. didn't say the word right. porn. You didn't. Nope. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. And, but what you've done, I, I had a mom tell me a very similar story where she's like, Chris, sort of that whole, everything is, you know, a lot of things can be a porn talk. She said, I cook dinner. And so after school, you know, the kitchen, like a lot of houses just ends up being a place where people congregate and my kids will hang out in the kitchen with me while I'm making dinner. And she said, Chris, I wasn't even looking at my daughter. And while stirring, I said sort of out loud to her and her brother who was standing there, she came up after one of my presentations and told me this. She said, Hey, if you guys ever see anything, anything makes you uncomfortable. I just want you to tell me about it. There's nothing you could say that will freak mom out. That's my promise to you. And she's kept on making dinner. All right. Two weeks later, she is tucking her daughter into bed and her daughter says, mm. mom, you said I could tell you anything, right? And this mom, like partially through tears is saying it worked. She told me every, I didn't even know Chris she was listening to me, but I kept the door open and she heard me say it was okay to tell. And so she told me, right? These are all just little nudges, little drips, little invitations as we say, building bridges of digital trust between us and our kids, one little brick, little conversation, little drip at a time. That's what we want. Um, and so to your point on you know, not freaking out, I think when we it sort of embody that sort of posture around it, where it becomes more normal, then we're setting... Mm. The purpose of doing that is as much for us as it is for them. Yes, we want them mm. to come to us, but by having the conversation more frequently. We're actually practicing not freaking out for when the conversation needs to happen. So it's as much for us just getting more comfortable and getting more open and having before any of those conversations, make a mental list of all the horrible things you hope never happened to your kid. And then look in the mirror, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and caregivers and say out loud in your bedroom tonight with that list in your mind, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to freak out. Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, give me calm that I may not freak out in that moment, knowing that you are in control and that you've got. And so whatever you've got to do to convince yourself, (laughs) those are the things that are us working on us um, before they ever need to come to us with that kind of disclosure. So. I love that so much. And I'll say that is um, something that we all probably have to work on a lot, Amen. some of us more yeah. than others. I think I think you've said a lot of fabulous things here, Chris, but I think one of the things that I feel is so, so good, and I hope that people are capturing this, is that you can have those conversations about pornography with your kids with never saying the word porn. I mean, even talking with your kids about like, hey, you know, we don't have secrets, but we don't have secrets on our phones either. Like that's a whole conversation about pornography and you never even said the word. And so I think that is a big encouragement to us as parents is that these conversations, they matter. They don't have to be PowerPoint presentations. Sit down. I have something very serious to tell you. In fact, I think the best conversations, like you said, are side by side. Kids are really open up like that. Chris, I want to leave with this and I'm going to send, we'll put in the show notes uh, to all of your resources that you have at Protect Young Eyes. And I think signing up for that, that 
drip of 10 days and all the things would be such a great email to get in your inbox to remind you to have these conversations. And so we'll send everyone there. I want to finish with this. And I know this is like a, this is probably like a three day lecture. The question I'm about to ask you, (laughs) but I I do want to, it sparked my brain at the beginning. And I I don't want to leave here without asking you talk about risk management and you talk about how we can't take everything away from our kids. Like we can't like put them in a bubble and protect them from everything because we live in a, in a culture that's just moving forward with internet access and the internet's not a terrible thing. Like I, my job's on the internet, you know, like I need the internet and also the internet can be. Yeah. Yes. And so like, there are great things, but you did talk about how do we manage the risk of our kids and the internet. And so I just would love, again, I think this could be a three day series on what you're about to say on my question, but like, what are ways that as parents, we look at the risk and how do we decide what we need to manage and what we need to take away, what we need to keep going? How do you find that? How do you manage that? So I'm going to talk kind of in three different levels as quickly as I can. There's like a macro level And then there's like two facets to the micro level, a technical and relational facet to the micro level. At the macro level, Jamie, is an invitation to all the families and parents listening to this. I believe that the number one, if I could have two number ones, the top two ways that we do the best job of mitigating the risk of egregious traumatizing harm in digital spaces to our children are two things. Number one, delay the acquisition of smartphones and social media as long as possible. If your child has a smartphone, they have seen pornography. They have. So we use the phrase delay is the way, right? Right kid, right tech, right time. Delay is the way is not a no tech strategy. It is a slow tech strategy, right? So delay the acquisition of smartphones, and of social media as long as possible, age 15 or 16 if you can. Number two, this is still at that macro level, the removal of personal digital devices from the educational process during the school day must be uh, across the board where we go. There is nothing that you can show me currently in research or educational science that proves to me that children in middle and high school carrying personal digital devices with them makes them a better student or safer during the school day. Parents want to argue with me all the time about active shooter situations. We've written all about that because Mm -hmm. law enforcement would tell you just like I would. The last thing you want is your child on a device, freaking out parents with misinformation and not paying attention to the one adult voice in the room that is trying to save their life. That's a good point. So those two things at the macro level, delay and remove. Mm -hmm. Away is the day. Can I say something yeah. real quick about the school, Chris? Go for it. Is I am not an expert here. I am just a mom who sends her kids to school and all the things. You're the expert, not me. I think that I'm 45. The internet came around. The first time I remember really like, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until I was in my 20s and then internet early in college. But we're like one of the first generations raising kids in yeah. this. And, and now, you know, I've got a 19 year old and my youngest is 15. I would, I, I was thinking today before I talked to you on this call, I knew I was going to talk to you. I was like, man, I wouldn't have given my kids smartphones until they were sophomores or freshmen or sophomores, you know? Um, my daughter is the last one and poor thing. She's the last one of her friends to have social media because I learned with my boys 
and now I'm doing better yeah. with her. But I was going to say this. I think our schools, I think this is what we're going to see because my daughter is coming home and telling me that a lot of her teachers are not allowing them to have their phones in the classroom. So when they yep. get in, they have to put it in this cubby. They have yep. to do that. I think our schools are going to be kind of like us as parents. We swung all the way over here like, we don't know what to do. Oh my gosh, how do we parent? And then we're going to be like, oh, we're going to swing the other way. And I think our schools are going to catch on to it. That's my just, as a mom, I think they're going to start to go like, oh, we actually do have the authority to tell these kids they can't be on their phones. That's right. And so if any That's parent, yeah, I think you're right. I love that. And I think your daughter's observations are accurate. If any parent listening to this is like, well, how do I start that conversation? We have written all about that. I have scripts to go to principals. I have scripts to go to school oh, board good. meetings. I have a 16-page PDF you can put in front of them to prove the educational research. Whatever you want around starting the conversation related to a way is the day come my way. That's a lot of rhyming there. I didn't mean that. And I have that information, right? So that's at the macro level, right? In, in childhood. Got it. At the uh -huh. micro level, we mitigate risk both relationally and technically. We've talked about some of the relational ways. We have a whole framework of values that we want to wrap around families that we present, like you said, like a three-day seminar. But we uh, have conversations early. But technically, you can't just have the conversations without having some of the technical solutions in place, like a router with parental controls, like software mm -hmm. in place. So these are a couple of the five layers of protection, right? We have relational, Wi-Fi, device, location, and then app level. Those are the five layers of protection that you attempt to mitigate risk in depending on your child, depending on what they have, right? So relationally, and then at that router network level for all the things that only have Wi-Fi access like smart, books and Chrome, or smart TVs and Chromebooks and gaming devices, then devices that have cellular data, right? Then you put software like Coveted Eyes or like Bark on them. Mm -hmm. Then you keep mm -hmm. devices out of certain locations like bedrooms, bathrooms, buses, grandma and grandpa's house, mm -hmm. sleepovers, those kinds of places that just increase the risk of me making a bad choice. Because as a man who yep. struggled with pornography in the middle of the night for years, I can tell you nothing good on the internet it happens after about 9.06 PM, right? So let's just keep mm -hmm. that in mind. And then finally, at the apps, we have some parental controls now in Snapchat, some parental controls now in Instagram, but they're at the top of this pyramid because they're the weakest. But those are five ways that we mitigate risk depending on where our kids are at. That's a whole 90-minute presentation that we do that I just gave you 90 seconds. So, Look at there. Look at us. Is there a place on your webpage that they could find all that information? Yes, and even better to... Uh, find like the specific post on social media. Uh, we have a large Instagram and Facebook following where you'll be able to find those posts. Our story highlights on Instagram, okay. Jamie, are really solid. I try to keep them updated with these kinds of points. Okay. Well, that's a great yeah. help. Um, Chris, I'm just so grateful uh, for what you're doing and the way that you're pouring into it. Um, I think that this is, I mean, the internet and pornography is like this beast that is coming for our kids. And I think anything that we can do as parents to lessen that blow. And it's not if you're, it's not like if your kid sees porn, it's when your kid sees porn. And so how do we help them? Like how do we walk alongside and help them? And so I'm so grateful for you and Jessica and Sam in these conversations. And you guys, if you're listening, I've had plenty of conversations about pornography on the happy hour. We'll link them all in the show notes. So so grateful. Chris, I want to know, what are you reading these days? Yeah, it's right here next to me. Um, in fact, I just had a conversation with, with the author, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind by oh. um, Jonathan Haidt. It, uh, Haid. It's H-A-I-D-T. Um, 
boy, it it goes through the three. I've heard about this. Yeah, book. the three untruths that sort of we've started to believe um, about fragility, emotional reasoning, and us versus them. It is so good. And uh, he's working on a new book now, and I can't wait for it. So he is a great author. But yeah, that's where we are. I love that so much. Well, Chris, I'm grateful to have you on the happy hour and grateful for what you're doing. So thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Jamie. God bless. The Happy Hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivey, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell. And the show is edited by Jason Talley.